Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. We've entitled the series, Portrait of a Disciple. And today's sermon is entitled, Heart of Righteousness, and our text is Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Now, it's pretty clear when someone is speaking to you from the heart. When someone is talking to you about something they really believe or or who they really are or a passion that they really have. And it's equally clear when they're just telling you what they think you want to hear or they're just doing what they think you want them to do. It's clear when they're putting on a show, right? I mean, you know, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. So you can kind of tell when someone's giving you a little bit of a con job. A little bit, you know, a little manipulation action, right? If you have kids, you could tell it very quickly. We, we don't like that. We don't like that. Don't put on a show with me, bro. Tell me what you really think. Right? We do it. We don't like it. Um, th- this, this text is about when we do that to God. And to one another. But when we're kind of just putting on a show, kind of being a little religious, and so it's speaking of a heart righteousness. It's speaking of a righteousness from God in Christ and what that looks like. And this text this morning, these verses, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, really are the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. Here is where you will find what God is saying here. It defines the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. From here on in, these verses are defining it all the way through chapter 7, verse 12. It's this inclusio. You have this verse, and then you have seven twelve, and, and they're very similar. And in between, you have what does this heart righteousness look like? What does it look like to be who we are, as Corey mentioned two weeks ago? The Sermon on the Mount calls us to live out of who we really are. So here's a question for you. Who are you? Are your heart and your actions united? Or do you find yourself sometimes just putting on a show? Dancing to the tune that you think everybody wants you to dance to? Or are you dancing to the tune that's in your heart? See, this is the question that God answers and addresses in our text this morning. He's talking to us about heart righteousness. So let's read about it. If you're there, Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Two words are at the center of this text. 
It's the word fulfill in verse 17 and the word righteousness in verse 20. And two questions drive this text. How does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? And secondly, what is the difference between the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees and the heart righteousness, Jesus says, gains entrance to the kingdom of heaven? The main point of this text is as follows on the screen. Heart righteousness leads to whole living. Heart righteousness leads to whole living. And in order to understand this heart righteousness that leads to whole living, we need to explore what Jesus meant in verse 17 and 18 when he said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Point one, the law fulfilled. What does it mean when Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets? Basically, what it means in this text is the entire Old Testament. And this text is one of the strongest proofs that the Bible is God's word, the very words of God, every single word inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, infallible, inerrant, and eternal. And what Jesus is talking about here when he's referencing the law and the prophets is he's talking about God's covenantal relationship with his people. When you read law and prophets, what you need to understand there is everything the Old Testament says about how God chose a people through Abraham and formed a people through Moses and the law, Israel. Do you know that Israel is called the son, small s, of God in the Old Testament? And how God then shepherded this people all the way through their history, all of the prophets, all of the Psalms, everything included, all the way until Jesus came to fulfill God's word and to fulfill God's call to have a people for his own possession, a people, his own people. So when he says, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, He says, I came to fulfill God's purpose. Yes, it includes ethical standards. Yes, it includes all the prophecies that were given about Jesus. In fact, the first four chapters of the gospel of Matthew, there's a ton of times, I think maybe five or six or even seven times, that Jesus will say, this happened so that the Old Testament would be fulfilled. In fact, when he's talking to John the Baptist and he's about to be baptized, and John the Baptist says, whoa, 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 I can't baptize you. I know who you are. He says, no, no, let's do it to fulfill what was written about me. So this idea of fulfilling is huge in Matthew. And what is being fulfilled? It's the covenant that God made with his people. Here's what I don't want you to miss. We can turn this into an ethical discussion. And it is not less than that. But it's more than that. It's a relational discussion. Don't miss that. Because that's what the Pharisees missed. It's more than just keeping the law and hoping that in keeping the law, God will approve of me. It is not less than keeping the law. Absolutely not. 
But it's now a relationship by which I keep the law because of the relationship that God has forged with me. God forged it with me. It's the relationship he promised to Abraham. Through your seed, one person, Jesus, all the nations will be blessed. It's the relationship that God established through Moses and the law and all of the sacrifices and the law that was given on Mount Sinai. I'm calling a people. I'm organizing them. I'm pulling them out of Egypt. And I'm forming them at Mount Sinai and I'm giving them my law. And I'm saying from this people will come that one that I prophesied would come through Abraham, through his people now, my people. And the whole history of the Old Testament is how God guarded these people. These people that at times rebelled against him. These people that needed to be disciplined. These people that went through this incredible history until Jesus was born. See, what we see here is that Jesus being very careful to say, I haven't come here to do away with the law and the prophets. No, no, no. I've come to fulfill them. There is this continuity between old and new. Because see, Christians would be accused later on of rejecting the old. They would be persecuted for that. But Jesus is saying, this is a fulfillment of the old. This is what God promised. The covenant with Abraham is fulfilled. And the covenant with Moses now, the law, is seen for what it is. It's simply a guardian keeping God's people until the day that they would be adopted and receive their inheritance. And that's the illustration I want you to keep in your head when you think, how did Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? He executed that inheritance, that adoption that God intended from the beginning. As a matter of fact, if you look on the screen, you'll see that Paul, I believe referencing this, wrote the following to the Galatians. Galatians 3, 24. So then... So then, the law was our guardian, our guardian, until Christ came in order that he, we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. And that's sons and daughters, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have, been put, have put on Christ. So the illustration I want you to think in your head is, how did Jesus fulfill the law? He fulfilled the law by accomplishing that which God intended from the beginning, to adopt a people. And the reason I want you to think of that is because it means that it's really, really relational. This is the heart issue. See, we're adopted And those adoption papers were signed by the blood of Christ. And that adoption was ratified by the resurrection of Christ. And that adoption is sealed by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So that as we look at this law being fulfilled, it is very personal. It's it's a heart issue. It's always been a hard issue. That's what God said in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31, 33. This is always what God's intention was with the the law. It's a guardian, 
bringing us to Christ who fulfills the law because God's hope, God's desire, God's purpose was to put that law in our heart. Jeremiah 31, 33. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. So when was the law fulfilled? It was fulfilled in Christ's death and resurrection and in his coming kingdom. The the law was fulfilled when Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, when Jesus rose from the dead, and it's fulfilled in his second coming. Moses' law now becomes Christ's law. We're going to read this next week when we look at the six things that Jesus talks about that he now fulfills in the law. You're going to hear next week the following statement. Jesus will say, you have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in his heart. You have heard that it was said, don't murder. You understand he's quoting the Ten Commandments, right? But I say, don't be angry. Do you see what's happening? Yes, he's fulfilling this on an ethical level. He is saying, this is what the law really meant. It's always been a hard issue. You are my people after my heart. You are my people after my heart. And I am fulfilling this law. Moses' law now becomes Christ's law. It's a heart issue. It's who we are. God has always cared about that. So let's look at the heart righteousness that this passage talks about. Point two, heart righteousness. In verse 20, Jesus summarizes for us everything that he's just said in verses 17 to 19 and provides for us the thesis statement for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Read it with me, Matthew 5.20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is an obedience from the heart. This is an obedience that is birthed in us because of our position in Christ, because we have been given his righteousness, and now it's being lived out, it's being acted out by the power of God. God reveals his righteousness in the gospel, and now this is the practical outworking of that righteousness. It's not putting on a show. It's being who we are. This is how Jonathan Pennington describes that righteousness quote on the screen. It's a whole person behavior that accords with God's nature, which we've been given that nature as Christians, God's will. We've been given that will as Christians and his coming kingdom. It is speaking and acting out of who we are in Christ, not putting on a religious show like the Pharisees. It's the unification of our hearts and actions so that we do what is right because that is who we are. It takes us beyond duty to delight. It is the heart righteousness that God promised in the prophets. It's what he said to us in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 27. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's desire for you was always to give you a new heart. And that, that's what he gives you in Christ. This is what the, the New Testament calls our positional or imputed righteousness. You have a new heart. But then out of that new heart, God's desire was always for you to then walk out of that new heart, out of that spirit that he gives you in the righteousness that represents who you are. So that you're not putting on a show to try to please God. You're not putting on a show to try to please me. But you are being who you are. There's a unity. Corey has been talking about this. There's a wholeness. Suddenly, my motives hook up with my actions. I don't have false motives. I'm not trying to just run a game or, you know, make you think I'm not, I'm something I'm not, or even worse. I mean, we do this to God. It's like, think about it. It's crazy, right? But we do it all the time. If I could just do this, God will think I'm okay. Listen, God knows you're not okay. And that's why Jesus came to die for you. That's why the law is fulfilled at the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's not less than obeying what God has commanded. It's not that. Oh, but friends, it's the relationship. Don't miss that, okay? That's very important. It's what God has always purposed. Now, two weeks ago, in the introductory sermon to this series, Corey described this heart righteousness with the following words. Church, quoting Corey now. This is obedience from the heart. It's a new or transformed heart. This is exactly what God promised in Ezekiel, the law and the prophets. Jesus fulfills. Throughout much of this sermon on the mount, Jesus is contrasting this type of heart righteousness with the externally focused obedience of the Pharisees. That's what it means in verse 20 when he says that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees or you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. These are my words now. Do you realize how shocking that was for people on the Sermon on the Mount? I've been to that place in Israel. It was there last year, a couple of years ago. What year is this? Uh, anyways, I was there. I Trust me. At least I think I was there. And, and so that day when he was preaching up on that little hill, it's not really a mount, it's a hill, okay? Um, when Jesus said this, everybody just stopped the presses. The Pharisees were going to be the first ones in heaven in everybody's mind. You had all the unwashed masses. You had all the fishermen. Uh, it was right near uh, Capernaum. You had all these people that were just like, they were sinners. They knew they were sinners. And he's saying, those people who you think are the first ones to get into the kingdom of heaven will not get in there because they don't understand the heart righteousness. Later on in Matthew, he says about them, I believe it's Matthew 23, they tie the, the mint and the this and the that, and they do it all perfectly, but they miss the heart of the issue. They miss mercy and justice and grace. Back to what Corey said. This type of heart righteousness or heart obedience is different than the externally focused obedience of the Pharisees. The Pharisees who stressed outward conformity to God's law, but missed the heart. Now listen, in the church, we can do two opposite extremes and both are wrong. We can say, you must have this outward conformity. It's all about outward conformity. And without that, you're nothing. 
Or we can run to the other extreme. Since I can't really fulfill outward conformity, it doesn't matter at all what you do. They're, e- they're opposite, but they're equally wrong. See, Jesus here is painting a picture of disciples who possess this greater righteousness, greater than the Pharisees. Jesus is painting a picture of a whole heart. I love that, of a flourishing heart. I'm not divided. I'm not somebody who gives you one face in public and has a totally different face in private. And I know that it stinks. And there's something wrong. You know what happens to people like that? If they don't break out of that, you stop seeing them in church. Because what they do is they say, I can't keep being a fake. We weren't made to be fakes. We weren't made to put on a show. We weren't made to just dance a little dance so everybody thinks we're great. We were made to have a whole heart with a whole life. And even if we're sinners, we said, okay, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that to you. But man, I am saved and I am righteous in Christ. And he's working that out in me. So I want to stop lusting. And we have accountability with others to say, but I'm still doing it. I want to stop being angry and judgmental and critical and always being the one that finds the fault in people because I know that's wrong and the anger in me is wrong. It's just like murder. And so I acknowledge it, but I'm not in despair about it, but I'm being honest about it. Guys, that's what's called biblical fellowship. There's a wholeness and a reality. In this city where everything's about show and looking good, it's refreshing. People are, their souls are shriveled and dying as they put on their designer suits and drive their beautiful cars and live in their beautiful homes and are absolutely desperate and miserable inside. This is what God has given us. It's the picture of a whole heart. It's a picture of a heart that is united in motive and deed. A heart that is saturated, I'm quoting Corey now, with mercy and grace and filled with peace. This is that shalom that Corey was speaking of. This is that flourishing. This is that that word blessed, blessed. There's a unity between what I really want, my motives, and what I'm doing. And when there isn't that unity, we go to Jesus and he helps us. See, Jesus is painting a picture of people whose heartbeat is in sync with the gospel, in sync with Jesus Christ himself. Not in sync with the Pharisees of the world. So here's a question for you. With what or with whom is your heart in sync? Now, I've got all these products that work without anyone needing to have a brain to use them. It's the reason we went to this one manufacturer of this product. And every day I wake up in the morning and I sync this device and that device and that device. Because if I don't, see my brain is right there. If I don't, my brain just blows up. I do it every morning. God, the Holy Spirit, did the initial sinking We all have the same operating system. And you couldn't get it on your own. Jesus gave you life. You were dead. You were an orphan. You were without family. You were desperate. And Jesus gave you life. And he adopted you. And he gave you the operating system. It's called having a new heart in Christ. But friends... We need to be synced every day, right? 
God does it. He does it through his word, reading it. He does it in prayer. He does it when I fellowship with you. He does it when we make those phone calls. He does it in your families. He does it when we worship. Don't you feel yourself sinking up when we're worshiping? I mean, there's some mornings I come in. Actually, this morning was one of those. I just kind of came in like we're human, right? We just come in and it was like, I don't feel like being here. Don't look at me so religiously, okay? All right. And, oh God, these words are just bouncing off my ears. What time is it? What's that sound over there? Who's that person over there? Why is that light? You know, you know, right? I'm just like, I'm just out of sync. And God just sings me. He, he just grabs me gently and he says, come on out. You know, like we do with our little kids. Look me in the eyes. <laughs> and and by, the, by the time we're, we're, we're receiving communion, like even until communion, to be quite frank with you, I'm still just trying to figure out, oh God, and Corey's talking to me. And it's just the word of God is sinking me. You know, that little button that flows on your computer and you're going, is the sink happening, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then with that last song, man, and I'm just, I'm just screaming at God. Oh, praise the one who saved me. Thank you, Jesus. I, can't, I don't even have the words, Lord. I need, I need that every day. This is important. God knows it's important. That's why he commands us to get together. During the week, I need to gather with people in small groups. However they look for you, however your schedule can allow them, I'm seeking that fellowship. That, that's what it's talking about here. It's talking about a whole heart. So you're not divided, right? That's the heart of Righteousness. God gives us the operating system. God sinks us, but he does call us to cooperate with all that. Gives us the ability to initially. It's all by his grace. But then he says, walk in it. And what it leads to is a whole living, point three. See, the Sermon on the Mount is about heart righteousness that leads to whole living. What does that whole living look like? I'll put feet to this sermon. I'll be happy to if you come back next week. That's what we're going to look at. Because verses 21 to 48, actually, verses 521 all the way to 712 are the walking out of what this heart righteousness looks like. What it looks like for Moses' law now to become Jesus' law. What it looks like for the guardian to finally deliver us to the courthouse where the papers are signed in the blood of Jesus, ratified by the resurrection of Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. My name has been changed. I have a new operating system. Now, what does it look like? And so next week, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at six areas that Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And I've alluded to a couple of them already this morning. What's the appeal this morning? Here's the appeal this morning. The core message of the Sermon on the Mount is that heart righteousness leads to whole living. It's what we all are desperate for. It's our fractured souls are looking for peace, shalom, wholeness. No more putting on a show. 
by telling God or others what we think they want to hear or doing what we think they want us to do. But now in Christ, we can speak to God and speak to others out of who we really are, however imperfectly we do it, however much we need to grow in doing it. We can speak out of this heart of righteousness that is ours by grace alone and Christ alone, through faith alone, for God's glory alone and his word alone. A heart that is united in motive and deed. Don't you want that? Saturated with mercy and grace and filled with peace, in sync with Christ, in sync with the gospel. This is the wholeness. This is the blessedness. This is the flourishing that God has for us. This is why Jesus stood on that plain near Capernaum in Israel over 2,000 years ago and preached these blessed words. And he gives us the hope by his spirit. That's why he died on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And one day he will return to consummate this kingdom that he's inaugurated. Laws fulfilled. We can keep it now out of a heart righteousness. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus came preaching that. The kingdom of heaven has come. Read the gospel of Matthew. It's all over the place. Why? Because the king has come. The promise is fulfilled. I've got a new heart. My fractured soul is made whole in Jesus. But friends, the opposite of this flourishing, the opposite of this blessedness, the opposite of this wholeness is living life, trying to manipulate and play the game and con or put on a show, hoping, desperately hoping that others, to include God, will buy it. This leads to a lack of passion. It can result in bitterness at having to play the religious game. It is the opposite of the flourishing that Christ promises here. And if you find yourself passionless, maybe a little jaded, a little cynical, kind of just going through the motions with God and others, here are some application questions from Matthew 5, 17 to 20 that may help you receive God's grace and a renewed joy in him. First question, where do you find yourself putting on a show? Second question, where have you allowed your speech and actions to become exclusively external rather than internal from the heart? Where, have you, where do you find yourself, where have you allowed your speech and actions to become exclusively external rather than internal from the heart? We often give ourselves a pass to do this. We don't even realize that it's happening. This is where asking others to help you with this can be so helpful. Third question. Where do you find yourself shuffling through life with little passion, purpose, or joy? And this can include your work. Don't exclude that. Because God made you to work. There's great glory in working hard in your vocation for God. Start there, maybe. could include church, home, It includes your marriage with your children. Bring these areas to God, these areas where you're shuffling through life with little passion, little purpose, little joy, and say, oh God, you are the portrait maker. You gave me the new heart. Jesus, you are the portrait and the portrait maker. Help me. Restore me. Ask God to give you a heart in sync with Jesus, in sync with the gospel. Ask God to synchronize. When was the last time you did a sync? Hit the button. 
God, the Holy Spirit's here to do that. There's such joy in that. It may take a while if you haven't sinned for a while. For some of you, listen, it's going to mean actually getting the operating system. You're not a Christian. You may have been dancing this dance for many years, but you, it, when the music stops, you go, you know, that's not really in my heart. Acknowledge it. Say, God, give me a new heart. Give me this new operating system. For others of you and I, I, I assume the majority of you, it's just a fresh synchronization of your heart with Christ, with the gospel. Now, let me bring one nuance before we pray. There are times that we really do want to speak and act in ways that God commands, and yet we feel opposition. We don't want to do it in that sense. That opposition comes from Satan. It comes from our flesh, or it comes from the world. When that is the case, I don't think that you are putting on a show or just doing something out of external motivations. motivations. No, you're just fighting the good fight of faith. So you hear me, you got to differentiate. If I'm being totally fake, that's one thing. But sometimes it's hard because I'm being opposed. Marco said it well at community group on Wednesday night. Hey guys, what's the hardest night of the week? Wednesday. Yeah. And he goes, and if community group was on Thursday night, it'd be Thursday. Dude, dude, Wednesday night, I was comatose. I was comatose. I'm just laid out. You know, I'm usually comatose by 9.30. That night I was like comatose. It's 7.15. I'm like, ah, community group. I got to fight traffic to get there. It's a block from my house. Uh. (laughs) Can I tell you something? Man, it was life. It's not because Marcos is a great leader, though though he is. Sergio before him and others of you, Eric and Gary and Abegs, all you have led Tim over the years. It's God, the Holy Spirit. A bunch of us just shuffled in. (laughs) sat down and God hit the sync button, man. It it was great. There was a prayer. I mean, thank you for that prayer. So, so Richard Katrina was praying for you, weeping before God. How's that for a sync? Hey Al, how about if you just wake up from your little selfish world? Dude, that's life. Watching, you know, Sports Center, though it can be good, especially when the Gators win, uh, is okay. But life was that. And of course, there was opposition for me to get there. There's a relational opposition. I don't like this one. That one looked at me funny. This one's this. What's going on here? There's like, I'm so tired. I think my throat's a little sore right now, Desi. <laughs> yeah, can't find my keys. Where are they? <laughs> They're in your pocket out. Oh, yes. I'm not being fake when I went there. I was just fighting the good fight. And by the way, it wasn't just for me, but others needed me to be there and I needed there. So, so when we get there, what happens? Whew, God sinks us, man. You know, by Thursday afternoon, I need to be synced again <laughs> or I'm sunk. All right. So what God is addressing here are those areas where your heart motivations are not in sync with the gospel, where you have subtly allowed externals to take over and have neglected the internal matters of the heart. God calls us to come to Jesus, the portrait maker, 
the one who has given us hearts of righteousness. He calls us to obey his word joyfully and faithfully. There is a warning in these verses. But I want to remind you of one of the promises that Corey preached last week. If your Bible's open, look at 5.3, Matthew 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Confess that you are poor in spirit, that you are desperately in need of God's help, that you are desperately in need of being synced with Christ and the Holy Spirit, that you can't do it on your own. Cry out to God for help. Ask God to bring life to those dead areas in your heart so that your obedience is joyful and it's faith-filled and it's renewed with passion, passion for God, passion for others. Let us pray. Worship team, would you please come forward? Father, I pray that you would give us much grace this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give us hope this morning, not hope in our ability to do things, but hope in you, Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that that hope was born in Christ and Christ alone. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. Lord, you gave us the operating system. You maintain it. There's never any bugs in that system. It's the perfect operating system. It's the way it was supposed to operate from the beginning. And Jesus came to debug it. Jesus came to defeat sin and Satan. Jesus came to bring life and wholeness of heart. Jesus came to take us from hiding from you, God, and running from you, God, to loving you, God, and having a whole heart, Father. And one day we will dance with you and enjoy you and be blessed with you forever and ever and ever and one another. We will work and we will work hard, but there will be the fruits of the labor that you've enabled. We will share your glory. Lord, we need a taste of that today. We celebrate that. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. You've you've cleansed me of that stain of sin. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. Fill us, God. This is a holy moment, church. Just quietly stand and let's sing. If you need prayer, come on up. Corey and I would be happy to pray for you.